Beware, spoiler phobes! It's the king! Welcome to the Storm of Spoilers off-season tour. My name is Dave Gonzalez, and my favorite Kong female counterpart has to be Linda Hamilton in King Kong Lives, because why are you in that movie, Linda Hamilton? There's a female ape. It's just so weird. <laughs> my name is Joanna Robinson, and my favorite Kong girlfriend, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and say girlfriend, uh, even though this is like interspeciesist. Uh, is, it's gotta be Naomi Watts. It's gotta be Naomi Watts who shines through the garbage that is a lot of Peter Jackson's King Kong. And I'm Neil Miller and my favorite Kong dame <laughs> is, uh, has to be Brie Larson for two reasons. One, I've been in love with Brie Larson since Scott Pilgrim. Yes. And two, as Joanne and I were just talking about before we started recording, she is easily the most sensibly dressed or practically dressed, of all of the Kong ladies. So, Brie Larson. Uh, also, I'm the only person here who saw Kong Skull Island, so... Uh, so you that. get, That's you, good. You get Brie Dibs. We'll yeah. We'll be talking to you about Kong Skull Island this episode, and then also touching on just sort of other King Kong movies. Uh, there's been probably more than you think. That is the nature of King Kong. But first... We have our weekly review segment where we hear from you, the listeners. Sometimes bad, sometimes good, always five stars. That's what I say. <laughs> uh, Joanna, <laughs> any excellent reviews this week? Yes, we do. We've got a we've got a couple great new reviews. Uh, oh, and one bad one, but I'm not going to read that one. Okay, so <laughs> this one is <laughs> five stars. Trub twenty two. Thanks, comma for real. Trump22 says, okay, sad backstory to help explain how much I appreciate this podcast and host. After my husband unexpectedly passed away two years ago at 40 and one of my parents having a break, had a breakdown suit after, I had to find ways to escape. I couldn't settle down enough to read one of my greatest loves, but I could still enjoy my pop culture via TV and movies. I also discovered podcasts. Specifically, I found Storm of Spoilers. I fell in love with our Game of Thrones analysis and the personality of the host. I was beyond excited for the off-season tour that gave me insight to pop culture properties I'm not as familiar with. Love the perspectives, the insight, and most of all, the escape. Thanks, guys. Kim. Kim, thank you so much. That's one of the loveliest reviews I've ever read. So it's great. Thank you for listening. Well, great in the sense that you found podcast out. I have found like escape and comfort in so many other podcasts. So it, it makes me really happy that... Um, like other people feel that connection with us. So thanks for listening, Kim, and for writing that review. Uh, yeah, that's hard, hard to follow, but you know who's going to try is Neil Miller, 
with his segment. We talked about this already. And some of these things we haven't talked about yet, but some of these things we've talked about. (laughs) Yeah, we've got some housekeeping business. Um, Of course, you will be listening to this the week before South by Southwest starts. So reminder, if you are coming to South by Southwest here in Austin, Texas, we will be doing our live show at 12.30 p.m. on Sunday, the 12th, on the podcast stage at the in the Brazos room at the JW Marriott at South by Southwest. We're very excited. Um, by the time you guys are listening to this, uh, Joanna, at least, will be on her way to hang out with me. <laughs> it's very exciting. Dave will be here uh, later. Uh, also, a quick reminder to do the survey, wondery.com slash survey, so that we get the right ads. I was informed earlier this week that we were among the best at getting surveys of all the Wondery podcasts, which yes, they're all great. They're fine. We like them, but we wanted to win that. You know, this, I have this, to say, this month, oh, go, go ahead. The way it was phrased, because I read that email, thank you, Neil, for forwarding along, and you know my competitive spirit, and the way it was phrased, I don't think it was clear that we were, like, among the best, and we might have been the best, and they were just too polite to say it. Right. That's how I chose to read that sentence. They basically listed uh, the podcasts that got more than, what was it, 300 or something, and we were among them. Who knows? We could have been number one. They just won't tell us because they don't want to hurt everyone else's feelings. Exactly. So I feel like, you know, I feel like being very magnanimous, but I do want to thank you guys for like clearly helping us win this competition. That we were so me. much better than so many other Wondery podcasts. <laughs> like one of my favorite that have you guys heard of this tripod campaign? What? It's hashtag, hashtag tripod. The month of March, we're all supposed to recommend <laughs> you, uh, you know, recommend people uh podcasts someone that doesn't you know listen to podcasts the majority of them no i'm sorry not the majority apparently 40 percent of americans don't even know what a podcast no, is. no i thought it was 80 so, percent of americans 80 percent of americans that's what i heard on the 538 podcast which is another great podcast oh good and they're they're better with statistics yeah, than they're I really good uh, provably. <laughs> so uh, that's even worse than i thought guys uh there it, i had to explain it to my grandpa once as like down a uh, radio on demand yeah she sort of got yeah uh but then you have to you know get the app and put it on their device and get things subscribed so it auto downloads for them and uh march march is the month you're gonna you hear a lot about doing that and you're gonna recommend a podcast to people using the hashtag tripod uh this Wondery podcast I'm going to recommend, Hollywood and Crime, is really good. It's sort of like a radio drama around the Black Dahlia mysteries. You have to start at the beginning. Uh, But we beat them in surveys, so (laughs) you're already listening to the better podcasts. Anyway. No, 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 no. They they need all the help they can get, is what you're saying. And I I do want to clarify that it's hashtag tripod with a Y. Like, try this podcast, not I've got a tripod for my camera because I'm Brie Larson. Like that. Right. T R Y P O D. Which she does have on Skull Island, even though it's. There's a hashtag tripod on Skull Island. Hashtag tripod (laughs) on Skull Island. Um, Yes, so make sure that you're recommending podcasts to people. Also, it's a really good idea to just, even if you do um, enjoy podcasts, recommend other podcasts. Like I just learned the other day. That a couple of uh, friends of mine have a podcast called... What is it called? Hold on. 
Project Unicorn and listen to this description. It's a podcast about brains, stars, and feelings. Wow. Yes. Um but two delightful I've people got that I know. Two of those things. Um I think it's a podcast about astrology and goofiness and they're great. So that's a that's a great one. Um Joanna, do you have any podcasts you listen to that you don't that you would not expect other people to listen to? That you aren't on? <laughs> There's that too. Are there any podcasts that you aren't on? I heard you on Hollywood and Crime, by the way. Me? Well, listeners will have to hear Hollywood and Crime to figure out that's a joke. So oh. I guess that doesn't really work. Okay. <laughs> that's like that's news to me. Um I something that I wasn't on, um, I was just listening to the Empire podcast, which is probably my favorite podcast, which I probably talked about on the show a million times, but they've got a spoiler special. And this is like perfect for Star Wars spoilers. Listeners, they've got a spoiler special up right now with Logan director, James Mangold, who's dropping all kinds of great, like nerdy, geeky tidbits that, uh, you guys would love to hear. I know. Uh, so that's the Empire podcast from Empire magazine, a bunch of delightful British, comic book and film and TV nerds. And then occasionally they have these directors on for these long spoilery talks, which are great. Nice. (laughs) So do tripod or tripods, do pods, (laughs) try to do pods, build a website using tripod. I'm old. (laughs) All right. So we actually, uh, we have a little game of Thrones news this week, but I don't know what it is all about. I only saw little bits and bobs on Twitter. So, uh, I need Joanna to explain to me what the Jim Broadbent news is and whether I should care. Okay, so basically Jim Broadbent pulled an Ian McShane, and we all know that, <laughs> that Ian McShane, last season when he was uh, on for one episode, basically like dropped all the info about his, ep- not all, but dropped more info, I think, than HBO Game of Thrones wanted him to um, in an episode, uh, or in an interview. And so Jim Broadbent essentially did the same thing, where... Um, HBO was not ready to announce who he would be playing, but he told friend of the pod, Aaron Whitney of screen crush crush fame. Basically Jim Broadbent was talking to Aaron Whitney and he said that, um, uh, that he was playing an archmaester that his, that he shot five episodes and he's got one scene per one big scene per episode. And since there's only seven episodes, that's a lot. Right. And, uh, that, uh, his scenes are with John Bradley. Mm. So that seems to confirm our sort of theory that he was, uh, Maester Marwin, um, at the Citadel. Actually, our friends at Watchers on the Wall have more information. He's actually a different character. Um, Maester's last name starts with a Z that I can't remember right now. Um, that, uh, has healing powers. And uh, Watchers seems to, and Watchers always knows even more than they share. Watchers seems to, here, let me read it to you. So it's um, the the character they, oh, Ebros, uh, a maester of the Citadel. Uh, he is mostly mentioned in conjunction with his area of expertise, healing, and his distinctive silver mask and rod. Um, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> This write-up from Watchers on the Wall says, if Ebro shares his book character's healing skills, then we suspect they'll be meeting up with another major Westerosi character, one who is very much in need of a medical Uh, miracle, Jorah Mormont, Ian Glenn. So... Maester uh, Kier was a silver rod. Maester Bro is going to... Yes. Maester Broadbent is going to fix my boy Jorah is is sort of what Watchers is implying. Man, that's so good. 
So that's the Jim Broadbent news. I like this theory. Man, I hope he plays it really broad, like faith healing. I hope he plays it really broad, like and he's gone. like he's, I hope he plays it like Slughorn and occasionally <laughs> turns into a chair. Or or like he's in Moulin Rouge and he's like, everything's going so well, you're healed. So that's my Jim Broadbent impression. Which one is he? He's the chair with the silver rod. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so good, good news for my boy Jorah. Uh, yeah, that's wrapped fantastic. Wrapped up in this Jim Broadbent news. So there we go. Uh, I don't know. The, the second we start feeling good about somebody, that's usually the season they die. I don't know anything. I'm just saying. Um, dun, dun, dun. Should we make a side bet? I bet my boy Jorah is going to make it to the end. All the way to the end, eh? To the end. Mm. Yeah. Because hmm. like this, this grayscale is like a fake out, right? Everyone's like, oh, when is Jorah going to die? But the big reverse is going to be like, he doesn't. It, okay. But what if you he You don't doesn't? think that he will and then he does? So if you had to uh, lock in yeah. a prediction for a character outside of George's children, we'll, we'll, mm. we'll not use them, um, mm. lock in someone to make it to the end, would it be Jorah? Like, Guaranteed. You know what? If I say it though, then that means like I've I've stacked the deck against him, right? Mm-hmm. Because fate hates you more than good storytelling. Happens. <laughs> like mine is yeah. Mine is torment. Who's yours? Torment. Oh, okay. Torment's making it. Um, like who? No, I, 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 because I like all these characters that I'm thinking of. I can see them sacrificing themselves, and that being like a really interesting part of their story. That's the challenge of this. Little, well, you know, like like Brienne and Jorah and Tormund. I can all see them sacrificing themselves for people. But I think, oh no! But then there's a rumor he dies this season. So not Littlefinger. Do you think Varys? Varys. Varys. I say Varys. Varys. I feel like I feel like one of the schemers has to make it, and if it's not going to be Littlefinger, I say it's Varys. Because Varys may have actually picked the right team, right to to scheme with. Yeah. So there you go, Dave. Are you going to put your money on the goatee? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I feel like I should pick a Greyjoy just for a dramatic irony that they have to live through like a, <laughs> a broken house, like Theon. Uh, so yeah, you know what? I'm going to take Theon because why not? I don't think. From what I understand of what you guys have told me about reading the books, I don't think that's something that's going to necessarily carry over, but I do think it's possible for HBO to be like, I don't know, to strand him legless on the island somewhere and then just he never actually gets killed. That seems like something that would happen. Mm, Okay. I'm surprised no one took uh, uh, Davos. Davos is a survivor. Uh, Is he, though? (laughs) Davos is like a sacrificer. (laughs) Poor Dallas is like whatever, whatever you want, my king. I am here for you. All, all of his children are dead, <laughs> and then John died, and then came back. So I think he's pretty much okay with meeting the mortal plane. Yeah, that's fair. That's a, another downer of a transition for me. Mm. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Uh, what we do have for you this week is a whole bunch of King Kong discussion. We're going to start with the newest Kong, uh, Kong Skull Island, King Kong Skull Island? I think it's just Kong. Kong Skull Island. Just Kong Skull Island. No King required. Right. He has to 
or he has to earn his kingship in this movie. Prince Kong, Duke Kong of Skull Island. (laughs) Indeed. Governor Kong. Neither neither Joanna and I know for sure because Neil Miller is the only person on this podcast who has seen Skull Island thus far. Neil, how was It's really funny hearing you guys say stuff like that because it's so not even close. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Wait, what what it, correct correct kong us. is king the whole way he's he's always king no oh, nice. um, and i will say this one of the interesting things about this film which is directed by jordan vote roberts who did no major monster movies before this let's I, I forget what was his he directed like episodes of you're the worst and he directed uh the kings of summer and what was that one that he did before that? I don't remember. I thought matter. it. I thought it was just Kings of Summer. Kings of Summer. This. Anyway, um, he's he's one of those. Hey, they made a guy who made a Sundance hit. Let's give him an enormous spe- big budget spectacle. Right. And there are a few things I like about this guy. One, his beard. He has his an beard. amazing beard. <laughs> yeah. If you've ever seen his pictures from Comic Con, things like that. Two. The guy's got some kutzpah, like this dude. So here's the thing. I praised Godzilla, Gareth Edwards' Godzilla, for taking two-thirds of the movie before really showing Godzilla. And I thought that was a really interesting way to like build up, really kind of um, bold move in allowing the movie to kind of simmer on the idea of Godzilla long before you actually see Godzilla. Kong Skull Island is not in any way like that. The uh, It sort of rushes through the whole getting the team together thing and all of the initial setup to get these people on their way to the island. And then like 10 seconds in, Kong is standing full frame, head to toe, in front of the camera. And it's like, oh, they're going there. <laughs> like, they're really going for it. Um, which I thought was a... a an equally bold move because most of the time you get these monster movies that are sort of hemming and hawing over when they're going to show you the monster. But Mm -hmm. Kong Skull Island, it's clear that they figured out that the best of this movie is going to uh, come from three essential entities in this film. One is the work that ILM did on Kong himself, which is fantastic. Like, you know, it, kind of blows the stuff that Weta did for Peter Jackson out of the water as far as modern effects go. Uh, Okay. Because even though that stuff was really good, there wasn't a lot of Kong in the daylight, which was, it's always, that's always kind of been a hard thing to do. And we we could talk about. um, I don't think that's true. Having just watched it. When's the last time you watched the Peter Jackson movie? A while ago. Yeah, um, but I remember a lot of it being <laughs> at, in the dark and in the shadows, and then the, mm-hmm. and then there's some stuff on the island where he's in the light. But like this is like really, really in the daylight. Stuff. They did a lot of. I will admit that they did a lot of sunset Kong. There's a lot of sunset Kong in Peter Jackson's version, but there's there's definitely like light glinting off the fur. It's not it's not as good as like Pete's Dragon. Like CJ fur has come a long way, mm-hmm. but uh, you know I'm interested. You know I haven't seen it the new one obviously but i'm interested to talk about like having a person have a having a mocap person behind your your beast versus not cuz there isn't like a person that this is modeled on right you don't have an andy circus figure for kong skull island it's just the ilm wizards right there is oh that's the secret he's <gasps> 
He's always Toby Kibble. Oh my god. Perfect. Um who also that's, is oh a my, character, yes. a human character in the movie. Um Well, oh, that's the that's the Weta connection. That's Cuz Toby nice. cuz Toby Kibble played an ape for Planet of the right. Apes. So there yeah, is both an element are all to three that. Planet of the Apes. So why is it a uh this is that a secret or I just did no no research? Oh, no, yeah. It's on IMDb. Okay. That's how I, knew. I, I literally I, just looked I, that up. I pulled up IMDb <laughs> and I was like flipping through and I was like, I don't see a name by Kong, so I'm gonna make a real snooty point about Andy Circus, but I was looking at the mobile version. Boom, you just got kebbled. I did um, get kebbled. I got hella kebbled. So but so Kong is great. Like Oh oh, because they they have his human character name by right. which is he like plays Jack Chapman. Chapman or whatever. He is the guy in the trailer who's like, Is that a monkey? That's Toby Kebbell. <laughs> I mean, I'm here for the Kebs. Yeah, I do I'm love here for the Kebs. Uh, All right. So yeah, so the the oh good the effects work is uh, exceptional in this film. Great. Um, uh, the other two things I said three things. Okay, so the other two things are the two people that realize the two actors that realize that they are in a completely ridiculous movie. Because I think three people realize this is a ridiculous movie. One is the director, which is good. Uh, the second one is John C. Riley, who basically plays Samurai Santa Claus, who's this guy who's been stuck <laughs> on the island for a long time and is like two parts crazy and one part the smartest person in the group. Uh, so he like actually he's like, no, we shouldn't try and kill Kong because Kong's like the, the guy. And then the other one is Sam Jackson. Sam Jackson plays the uh, leader of the military elements of all this, and and ultimately the guy who um, he plays this character, this this uh, I forget his rank. He's like a command, you know, some kind of commander. Doesn't matter, colonel, maybe a colonel. Sure. Who is uh, right after this? It's set right after the Vietnam War, really, right at the end of the Vietnam War, and he is one of the. He's a soldier who is frustrated that um, the United States pulled out of Vietnam. He he makes a comment at one point that we didn't lose the war in Vietnam; we abandoned it. So when this first scene in which Kong's, uh, in which Kong is like smashing their. Um, helicopters and wiping these dudes like the that's all like the first scene of them getting to the island uh he takes it very personally and he decides that this is a war he's not going to lose against a (laughs) giant gorilla so uh, he becomes this sort of cartoonish and when i say cartoonish there is a sequence and very early in the movie where like Kong is like throwing helicopters and Sam Jackson's character is like standing there like Superman just staring him down as Kong throws helicopters at him and he's just he's like he he basically makes that classic this motherfucker right here Sam Jackson face at King Kong (laughs) and it's amazing um, because you very quickly understand that like no one, everyone else in the cast is taking this to be like a real serious movie, and these two guys are just playing on a different level. Like they're just, they're like, this movie is kind of dumb, and it's super ridiculous, and we're just gonna go for it. And it makes it so much more enjoyable than if they would have been taking it seriously, because otherwise, it's not a very well written film, which is weird, because uh, Dan Gilroy had a hand in it. Um, 
but it's it's the dialogue's very clunky and the story sort of makes sense and um but the once it gets going and once it just becomes a monster movie and like this nature versus man story um it turns into this really really goofy fun crazy uh over the top monster movie and i think uh for that it should be praised during the like part where they're trying to get off the island and it's like nature versus man does kong like take a side does he like start to like the humans once sam jackson's separated or something well yeah so it, the movie does dive into some of the mythology of the island and how there are people that live there and that they live um sort of in worship of Kong and but Kong is their protector and what we find out is that Kong is protecting them from these like lizardy kaiju-ish sort of things that live underground uh which you see in the trailer they they look right. they they're like they almost squat look, dragons yeah they almost look like graboids yeah but, graboids but with like big lizard tails they're like yeah. graboid dragons yeah um so it's really like and there's like this whole like intricate backstory to like kong having lost his family and he was a longtime protector of this island from these crazy monsters mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so the movie really does i think in a way that some of the more mo- the other modern uh kong movies it really just does show set up from the beginning that kong is the hero and like these graboid monsters and Sam Jackson are the bad guys, like no question. So, um, I really like that part of it. Um, I like that it's self contained on the Island. Spoiler alert. It's not like a, it's not like a bring him to New York sequence, which is fun. Um, and yeah, it's, it gets super weird. I mean, John C. Riley fights, uh, a giant graboid thing with a samurai sword. Awesome. I mean, Sounds great. What else do you I'm here really for need? It. What else do you need? <laughs> no, I'm glad. Well, I am glad to hear that it's not, you know, I, so for, for my homework, since I missed my Kong Skull Island screening, I watched the, is it? Yeah. It's 76, the 1976, um, Dino De Laurentiis produced, uh, Jessica Lang, um, Jeff Bridges, Charles Grodin, King Kong, and then uh, also the Peter Jackson through our epic. I will admit that I fast forward through some of the parts, like some of the chase parts of the Peter Jackson movies. All of Jack Black scenes. I have seen it. And so I was like, that's okay. I think it's impossible to fast forward through all of Jack Black scenes. They like embed him in that extended cut like he's a leech. Um, But it's essentially the same story told twice, even though like in one case it's a film making crew. In the other case, it's like an oil expedition crew. Um, but you somehow shoehorn a blonde actress in there and that's a, an essential element to Kong. But, um, I was, I was fascinated by, I'm, I'm really fascinated at this, like, because what was interesting, I was doing some research on the Dino De Laurentiis one and they, they call it like, you know, the most original thing you've ever seen when it's like a remake of, of not just the 33, but like all the other, you know, Kong movies that came between it. Like, so to call it like the most original thing you've ever seen is crazy to me, but, um, because there just seems to be these, these elements of Kong that these filmmakers feel like they have to do. And it sounds like Kong Skull Island is like, we're really going to, I know Dave is about to like drop like a 
laundry list of Kong movies that we've never heard of. But like, you know, the Kong Skull Island is at least like a big um, entry that that like breaks away from this mold. Um, and then like two last things I'll say, which is just that um, King Kong, the 1976 one, which can't help but like seem very jazzy in a lot of ways, um, has this really interesting theme of like, addiction to Kong because like Jessica Lange was clearly directed to like act as if her interactions with Kong are like a hit of heroin and like she becomes addicted to the thrill of it. And Jeff Bridges says a similar thing about the Islanders who worship Kong. He's like without Kong, you know, they're like uh, hollow, you know, shells of people. And I thought that was just like a really interesting, there isn't like a happy ending for Jessica Lange in that movie. It's very interesting. And then, um, and then in Peter Jackson's movie, something that every people have said for years, that like there is a good movie buried in that mess. And it's really frustrating. Like, I was so excited for Peter Jackson's King Kong because of course I'm obsessed with Lord of the Rings. I watched all of his production diaries. Like he he put one up on his website. I think it was every day that he put up a production diary. I watched all of them. I was so excited. Maybe he should have spent more time in the editing room. Well, this was like the early <laughs> indicator of what we would see with the Hobbit. It's exactly what he did with the Hobbit trilogy, which is just like no one is telling him no. And no one is telling him you can't take an hour to just to get to the island. Like, no, no. So anyway, that's, that's my... Yeah. And I will say, <laughs> to its credit, Skull Island um, does bring together this group of people in a way that makes sense. Like it's a scientific expedition. There's the uh, John Goodman plays the crazy sort of conspiracy theorist guy who is like getting the government to help to get to allow him to survey this island, which is like billed as like the last island, last piece of land on earth after Vietnam that had not been surveyed. So there's like a geological study. Uh, that's how you get the guy from the office who played Oscar in the office. <laughs> <laughs> there basically it's just like this is how you get all the red shirts together right um, right, right right and then you know like brie larson plays like a war photographer who uh gets assigned to this weird island and tom hiddleston is a former sas tracker who is brought on by john goodman to like track down he doesn't know what at that point so there's a it's a more sensical way to sort of bring these people to the island uh it's the the problem I think the the main criticism of the movie is that there's a clunkiness to the way it's edited and there's a clunkiness to a lot of the human story that is both script and editing and it's just it's it's just it feels very unnatural and it doesn't have like a good energy about it but it, you, Yeah, go sorry. ahead. Well, do you think Tom Hiddleston is woefully miscast cuz that's what it seems like to me from the outside? Um like they, I feel like they wanted Pratt, but they couldn't have Pratt because he's already done Jurassic World, and so they're like, "We'll do Hiddleston." And I'm like, "No, you don't go from Pratt to Hiddleston. That's those are two <laughs> different skill sets, two very different skill sets." No, I don't. I don't think he's miscast. I just don't think it's a very well well crafted character to begin with. So I think even Chris Pratt would have kind of been not great in that role. Um. So yeah, it even Chris Pratt. even Chris Pratt. <laughs> Our greatest on. living thespian. I mean, basically the only person that could have made that role great is like mid nineties. Um, Skeeter. No, 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 no. Because I'm thinking of someone. I'm name, curious who you said. Park. Why, why can't I think of Sam Neill? Oh, Sam Neill. <laughs> yeah, oh. mid nineties Sam Neill could have made that great, but only because it's mid nineties Sam Neill. Uh, I was thinking, and I don't know, I don't know why, but Kurt Russell. 
Like, I'm sad that we don't have a yeah, Kurt there, Russell. There King is Kong. a weird thing to like when they introduce Hiddleston's character about him being like this super badass guy who there's this line that John Goodman uses. Uh, one, of the, one of the cheesier lines in the movie where he's like, he's like, most men, uh, you know, uh, go out, go out to war looking for something and, and they don't, you know, if you would have found it, you would have been home by now or something like that. Like, he still has this, like, he's this grizzled, the war addiction. Yeah. yeah. He's this grizzled war addict who has not found what he's looking for, but it's like Tom Hiddleston. He looks like he's like 30 and just stepped off of like a vanity fair cover shoot like he's not vanity fair yeah Uh, that rag (laughs) but he doesn't look grizzled at all right Um, right he he's more in place in like a james bond movie than he is a movie like this but i i feel like i don't know he should be night managing hotels right not chasing cars. there are this does lead me to a few of the things that i learned about myself (laughs) during skull island okay um, well, I learned a bunch of things about a bunch of things, and here's here's a few of them. One is that Tom Hiddleston in a tight shirt, standing prominently on the edge of a boat going down a river in Hawaii, is something that will test the Kinsey scale pretty hard <laughs> for me, because uh, that is that is a beautiful man. Uh, the second thing is that Brie Larson has freckles, which I did not know. Um, the third thing is that Shea Wiggum is one of the most underrated actors in Hollywood. Like, he's fantastic. You knew that. He, well, yeah, okay. So maybe I knew that one a little bit. But he, another guy, he's another character who just kind of knows what he's doing. Like, he's like, a- we're all on vacation in Hawaii. I'm going to make this as weird as possible. And what accent is Shea doing this time? Uh, pretty straightforward. Uh, it's it's uh, very akin to his uh, Boardwalk Empire accent. Okay. So... Really great. Same thing with Toby I, Kebble. Um, the other I think thing, my is, favorite, my favorite Shea Wiggum is um, Wrist Cutters when he's doing like this bonkers Slavic accent. That uh, <laughs> I've also seen him do like a really crazy Southern accent. I like accented Shea Wiggum. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Um, some other things that I learned. Um, yeah. One, Richard Jenkins showing up for ten seconds in any movie is good. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> also. This movie depicts uh, soldiers at the end of the Vietnam War who are probably the most chill, unaffected soldiers in the history of war. Like, they're just like, oh, okay, this is cool. Like, sitting around playing cards. Like, I, that's not how I imagined the Vietnam War ended <laughs> for right. anyone. Um, yeah, that's pretty all right. much all I learned. This uh, was quite the movie. I am ready for Dave to hit us with some arcane King Kong knowledge. Oh, wait, Dave. I have to. Oh, well, I want to. Yeah, I want to pivot. Use oh. that as a pivot point by presenting Neil with the thesis. Neil. Yes. It looks to be from the outside as somebody who's seen a lot of monster fight movies and who saw Gareth Edwards Godzilla and who's seen a lot of King Kong movies. <laughs> that This movie exists to reposition Kong as a brawler first and a lover never. Ooh. Interesting. Um, I can see how that would that would be a thing. Uh, he is definitely a very physical presence and a fighter. And there's not really so. What's absent here is sort of the love story between Kong and the blonde, or his dame. Sorry, uh, 
to <laughs> non-blondes who have ever interacted with Kong. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's not... Like, there is a moment where... Um, and this is, like, in under cover of spoilers. There is a moment where Kong has, like, an interaction with Brie Larson's character that is different than his interactions with all the dudes. Um, but it's more of, like, he just sort of saves her. And it's not like uh, they're in love. Like, because the, the movie is more a survival adventure than it is a movie exploring, like, Kong's relationship to man. Like, it's like, by the end of the movie, it's literally, like, Kong and the humans, they're all just trying to survive these crazy monsters that have come up from under the ground. Like, they're just trying to fight off these things. So hmm. there's not, like, a stop and, like, get googly-eyed with the girl moment. Um, in fact, I think... Well, would I think it's... Are, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, if we could transition into a spoilers for the very end of King Kong. Yeah, I, have, I can tell you all about that. Yeah, I would, I would say... Uh, if you had a movie that took place in the same universe where you've established a giant monster who exists to come out and protect humanity against giant monsters <laughs> that could be turned loose on humanity, wouldn't it be weird to pair those two up somehow? Yeah, so that's what made me curious, is that there is a post credit scene to Kong Skull Island, and it is a scene in which um, two of the surviving characters are being held uh, in a room... Uh, like a interrogation room, uh, and let me ask you this, Dave: Is there is the Monarch Group or the Monarch Corporation? Is that a thing that's existed elsewhere in the Kong universe? That, that is Kong-iverse. the connective tissue. That's the like the shield of right. the new Kongiverse. So it first appeared in uh, Gareth Edwards' Godzilla. Oh, I totally missed that. Um, I knew it, it sounded familiar. So when you first meet John Goodman's character, he is from Monarch, and Monarch's like about to get shut down, and and this is in the seventies. So weird. I don't know. Um, and so they're being held by the monarch group and then these monarch people come in and they're like you guys don't even know there's so much more and what i found to be the funniest part about this is that the movie spoils itself instead of putting a mid-credits uh teaser scene in which they reveal all the other monsters that exist in the world they let it go all the way to the end and right before the end of the credits there is the trademark messaging where it's like King Kong, Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah are all trademarks of blah, 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 blah. And I I was sitting next to uh, another uh, critic friend and he's like, well, that's a spoiler because like three of those things are not in this movie. And uh, it turns out that that is what is revealed at the end. And it's, uh, you'll appreciate this, not revealed as like pictures of them, but they're revealed as like cave paintings. Oh yeah, my are. god! Oh, it's super. I, th- you guys don't know how ancient Mothra There's is. There's so many corny things about this movie, and I think that there will be a lot of argument over whether Skull Island is dumb and fun or just dumb. 
I have not. I have not seen our our film critic friends d- like so divided in such a long time mm-hmm. in terms of this is great and this is garbage. I think there are, there are um, a lot of people who like ten minutes into this movie are going to write it off as being stupid because the first like the bringing the band together stuff is really clunky and it almost lost me. But then, like, they show up to the island and Kong is just, like, smacking helicopters together. And I'm just like, nope, I'm here for this. Yeah. All right. I mean, I made it through Pacific Rim, so... (laughs) Oh, God. I know how to dodge certain parts of a movie for the monster fights. And that sounds what needs to to happen. We are canceling the apocalypse. (laughs) Um, I didn't know you had that impression. I would like to... Spoil for you if you would like the dumbest part of this movie. Would yes, you like please. me to spoil the dumbest part of this movie? I'm ready. Which yes. I think might actually be kind of offensive, but since it comes from Sam Jackson, I think it might be okay. Uh, there sure. is a moment in which there is argument about like what to do, whether they should go after Kong or whether they should just try and escape or like. And Brie Larson's character like makes a point, and Sam Jackson, in all of his Sam Jacksonness, is just like, "Bitch, please, we're going up the hill." And it's like, "Wait, what? <laughs> Did he just really <laughs> say that in 2017 in a movie to Brie Larson, Captain Marvel? Um, Captain Marvel herself? I know, Little, <laughs> Little Miss Free Fire. There, what the fuck? There are yeah. a lot of moments in this movie where I laughed, and no one else was laughing but me. So." pretty great Mm. yeah i'm in for a monster brawler franchise which is what this sounds like legendary is building i guess i just don't care about monster brawls and that's okay um yeah yeah i mean you know different strokes for different bros oh thanks um Yeah. No, I mean, definitely the, the like this long sections of King Kong where Naomi Watts and Andy Serkis just make googly eyes at each other was my favorite part of it. Oh, yeah. You're not so, going to like Skull Island. No, no. I might. I might. <laughs> but like. There's no googly eyes. There's more angry eyes. No, I mean, I'm not. I'm not like a dumb girl. I don't need like googly eyes to make a movie good. I'm just saying I need like character to make a movie exciting. Like. You know, I can take all the brawling of Logan because it's balanced with all these like great character beats. You know, and so um, I think my assessment still kind of stands. You probably won't like this. <laughs> I might not. It's okay. I'm emotionally prepared for that. All right, Dave. Now, are you going to hit us with some arcane King Kong knowledge? All right. Now we're just going to go through uh, like a thesis of King Kong movies, which is going to include all the King Kong movies I consider King Kong movies, wow. which. Are basically things that involve Kong, but are historically like uh, notable in like cinematic history. Basically, anytime the like core King Kong story is told, it's retold because a new advancement in technology exists. <clears throat> which I think is why also why Skull Island is a repositioning film and isn't like a core Kong film telling like the love story, because it's I don't think we've evolved past Andy Serkis uh, being translated through technology yet. In terms of performance. But we'll get there. First off, 1933. I rewatched it this week. It is uh, really boring if you don't know what you're looking at. Uh, but in terms of like, hey, everybody knows the stop motion stuff is like really badass. But uh, what's also really cool is the way they have used photochemical composition and uh, rear projection to do what it's essentially like Photoshop layering before any of that existed. 
And eventually they were able to like patent it. I don't know if the studio or the director got the patent. All these various systems of like, uh, so they would have, for example, if King Kong's fighting something, there's supposed to be two actors that are watching it. They would build into the miniature set rear projection screens. And each one of those screens would be basically like a slide projector, but using film shot of actors one frame a second so that they'd switch frames along with each stop motion frame. But because it's the celluloid days, they had to devise a system of pumping ice cold water through the projector so that the celluloid wouldn't burn up with the bulb, pushing it all the way back. Combine that with like uh, shooting steam once over like half developed film to layer different things against matte paintings and hide matte lines between Kong and all these rear projection systems. It's pretty amazing considering it's 1933 that there's still a lot of uh, the core of how we use special effects is still on display there just with none of the technology that we now rely on. And it's a sort of weird thing that if you are born into an era of special effects that's different without like sort of being aware that there are those many techniques going on, it just looks like a subpar special effects shot. So I don't know. If you're really into an idea of like seeing where it all began and being cool with like different stop motion and miniature techniques, definitely check out all of the movie. But otherwise, I mostly return to it in like YouTube uh, binges to watch like the Kong versus T Rex fight, which I think took them a full six weeks to animate just uh, stop motion. And there are bits of that that also have rear projection in it. Super cool. And it was so groundbreaking that they made them rush a sequel out in the same year, basically like start stop motioning. Now it became son of Kong. It's not really a Kong movie, but it's notable because like this Kong is much smaller and they try to recreate all the Kong things just on a slightly smaller scale. So instead of fighting like a dinosaur, he fights a bear. And because of that, he has sort of like a pet mentality rather than like a protector mentality like King Kong. And it, doesn't really work which is why i don't think it's ever been remade in america at least not that particular story and mighty joe young son of mighty joe young doesn't count (laughs) Uh, so skips up king kong versus godzilla which is revives the monster fighting genre in japan uh it's was the highest grossing godzilla movie until the 90s uh, but basically kicks off the entire franchise of Toho suit films. It was originally written for uh, Frankenstein's monster, and then they bought the rights to King Kong and switched in King Kong. So it would have made more sense if a giant Frankenstein had electric powers and had electric shock grasp, but here it just becomes King Kong. What is notable is when he fights Godzilla, he has this cool move because it's just a guy in a suit uh, for the first time. Uh, King Kong's portrayed that way. He just picks up a tree and tries to stuff it down Godzilla's throat, which (laughs) led to a whole bunch of American references to King Kong using a tree uh, in similar ways. Uh, Sometimes more likely as a club, but the very specific type of tree that is used in King Kong versus Godzilla for some odd reason. So maybe that has something to do with it. Uh, Interesting fact because apparently this monologue is full of interesting facts. Uh, When I was growing up, there was this persistent rumor that there were two different endings to the film. One that was released in America, subtitled and dubbed, where King Kong won, 
and a Japanese version where Godzilla actually won. Uh, that rumor was so persistent. It's like printed in like history of Godzilla and history of King Kong books. It is completely not true. King Kong wins in both versions. There is a version of the Japanese version, or there's a version of the Japanese cut where you hear Godzilla's roar at the end, but there isn't one where he wins. So that is interesting in terms of you can't trust what you read and fake news of 1980s. Wow. Fake um, news. Yeah. Fake news. Fake, uh, fake Kong news. Okay. So profitable was King Kong versus Godzilla for Toho that they not only continued the Godzilla series, they tried to continue the King Kong series. In 1967, when King Kong escapes, it's really stupid. I also rewatched this this week, uh, just thinking it'd be like a cool example because I had a feeling that Skull Example, Skull Island was a brawler. I wanted to look at some other King Kong brawlers. Uh, this one, they sort of redo the T-Rex fight. They sort of redo like the sea serpent fight. Uh, from the original Kong, they have a Japanese woman uh, along with the American crew who is blonde in a very obvious wig, but gets King Kong to fall in love with her. Meanwhile, a man named Doctor Who is <laughs> digging for Chemical X under Antarctica with a robot King Kong. Oh, that's which right. Breaks down because this is the one with the, of the radiation. Yes. Oh my god. Because of the radiation of uh, Element X, Robot Kong circuits get fried. So course he needs the real kong which he gets king kong digging and then woman that he loves gets kidnapped and then he manages to break out of his hypnotism save the woman he loves and then he has to fight robot kong in japan and they kind of do the whole empire state building thing but on the tokyo tower this one has that one has robot kong and a t-rex yeah, That's and like a water monster, which is pretty... They use all the Toho backlot sets, and one of which includes like an ocean for Godzilla, so they're like, wow. Kong's got to fight something in the, in the ocean. It's not bad in terms of monster suit fighting things, and it's probably one of the better Kong fighting other giant things until Skull Island, because the other one... We'll get to you. this. Not so wait, good. this. I don't mean to interrupt your amazing fact-filled monologue. <laughs> no, please. This do. is this, like this. This is like the thought bubble when I would like just sit back and and just let Dave do awe. his thing. Yeah, yeah. Let uh, Dave take the wheel. But this reminds me of something I didn't mention about Skull Island, and uh, this is not a spoiler for those who are now shivering in fear that I'm going to spoil it. Uh, but he does fight a number of different kinds of monsters. Wait. How many different kinds of monsters? He fights an octopus, a giant octopus, which is awesome. Um, No, and then the humans have to fight the giant other stuff. Um, I will say (laughs) this. There is one very direct cannibal holocaust reference in Skull Island that is pretty fantastic if you're paying attention. Um I can only think of one thing that I would reference if I was doing a cannibal Holocaust reference, but I suppose I'll have to wait and see. Oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, carry on with your uh, history of Kong, and then I have questions. Oh, good. We're, we're about halfway through. <laughs> uh, the, not, the other ones aren't really as interesting as those like my, the ground milestone ones, but as Joanna mentioned, in 1976, Theo De Laurentiis made 1976 King Kong Jessica Lang, uh, that is basically the pinnacle of American suit giant monsters. 
Rick, um, uh, Ricky Baker. Uh, Ricky Baker. Sorry. Yeah. The guy in the suit is Rick Baker. Rick Baker is inside the suit. <laughs> uh, they also made a giant mechanical hand that uh, Jessica Lang was strapped into that was uh, hydraulically controlled. Uh, it, 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 trying to make it look gentle, they ended up pinching one of the nerves in, in her neck with it. Oh, my God. So she actually has like permanent nerve damage from, from King Kong. Uh, that being said, there's an oil tycoon that brings them to Skull Island, like Joanna mentioned, you know, like a hilarious scene where there's like oil bubbling up in lakes around the natives who are really offensive. Well, the natives and are bad, guys. We're all bad. Charles Grodin's like basically <clears throat> licking his lips, looking at the oil while Kong's around. It's an interesting movie. I, I like it a lot in terms of giant suited monsters and America trying it because De Laurentiis follow up. In 86, 10 years later, King Kong Lives is really bad. It's also Suits, uh, but I don't think it's Rick Baker again. Uh, either way, it isn't solely Rick Baker because there's a female Kong who is pregnant. Does she have Kong. like a pink bow on? That's how you can tell it's a lady Kong. No, she's slightly differently <laughs> colored. <laughs> smaller. Oh, she's brown. But, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's black. And. Mm-hmm. So uh, they get in a tussle. Uh, some people try to protect them, and the American military is trying to assault Kong, who's trying to protect his young. Uh, they beat him up real bad. He gets to see a child born. The child is like a human-sized person in an ape costume <laughs> that makes horrific noises. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, you know, with 1986 green screen technology, Kong manages to touch his child, who nuzzles up against him, right before he dies, and then the child continues to make horrific noises as we climax out of that movie, which is just Kong saw his kid being born and saved it, sort of. Anyway, just don't need to watch that one ever. I just told you all about it. Uh, Wait, which is, leads us- is Linda Hamilton giving us, like, Terminator 1 Linda Hamilton or T2 Linda Hamilton? Uh, Terminator 1 Linda Hamilton in the outfit of Terminator oh, 2. Fascinating, mm. fascinating. She's definitely more preservationist uh, on this one than uh, militaristic. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, yeah, which brings us to the Peter Jackson King Kong, which also Joanna mentioned. Sorry, I watched. didn't mean to spoil your, like, your... No, that's good. You your... mentioned a lot of things that are... Spoilers on a not, spoiler show? Not little trivia tip. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I watched the extended cut. There's a lot of stuff in there. Uh, my friend, I saw it with my friend Nate, and I remember he turned to me afterwards. He's like, that was like a fire hose of cinema. Yeah. And that's a really good way of describing it, because at the time, that was the top of line of what we could do in terms of visual effects. I think they got the, the Kong hair system that they developed, that Weta developed for that. They still market and sell today. It's one of the top three, if not the top system for making individual particles of hair i believe in the uh all of kong for that movie was split into 300 hair clumps so those are the pockets of how much control they have which is an insane amount if you think about how much hair is actually on kong to have individual control over uh andy circus shot everything with naomi watts who would shoot with a double but looking at andy circus 
in an ape costume. Yeah, if you've and Andy Circus would reshoot <laughs> the ape movements to his own performance. If you've never seen the behind the scenes footage of Naomi, I've I watched it then and I watched it today because it's on YouTube of Naomi Watts in like a green spandex sort of like um you know model of the hand ish thing, and then Andy Circus in this like terrible suit. I don't know why they made him wear that suit because it's not the mocap suit. It's this like weird spandex suit, but it's got black, it's black and it's got muscles and it's super weird. And he's wearing it and then he's perched up on a wall. So Naomi Watts can look up at him and they're acting that way. And, um, I mean, it's effective because anytime it's just the two of them on the screen, this is a really good movie, but, uh, the amount of work they did to get that out of them is pretty incredible. Like technologically, yeah. I mean, this is why Peter, Peter Jackson production videos are always interested, even if the movie is bad. Uh, like I watched all the Hobbit ones too. I think they're fascinating. So I don't know. Oh yeah, especially for his big effects films. Yeah. I don't know if I haven't. I didn't watch his true dead girl drama true behind the scenes video. True, true. <laughs> but uh, in terms of uh, ape motion capture technology, I think he's in that suit so they could later shoot him against the high contrast background because I don't think the full ape suits that we would recognize today really existed for motion capture until like the planet of the apes. Um, I know that they did a lot of uh, stuff for the Tim Burton planet of the apes, uh, but those was more like arm extenders and costuming things. I don't think it would necessarily be getting the points of his movement. I think it'd be more like uh, two towers Gollum, where they're looking at his performance and sort of animating the body along with that, but still capturing his, his face. I think you're right. They, they, you see them put the dots on his face, and then you see him sort of monkeying around and then sort of capturing it, but he's not wearing that, oh, that get famous... It? Yeah. But he's not wearing that like famous dotted suit uh, that you know we've seen him in. He's not even wearing the one with all the balls on it. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But what was fascinating to me is like when you think of mocap, I think, or at least I erroneously thought, and hopefully our listeners are still uh, here with us. This is, this is Dave Polly Gonzalez at his best, but like, um, my, I erroneously thought that they would just take mocap and like whatever Andy Circus did with his face, that's what would happen on the screen, like uh, under layers of CG. But what one of the behind the scene videos taught me is that like uh, Peter Jackson can look at it and be like, actually, I think you should be angrier in that scene. And it's the animators who go in and sort of change the musculature to make his performance angrier there. I mean, that's a fascinating blend of human performance and technology, I think. Right. Yeah, and that's now become it's now become more of what you initially thought it was. But back in the day, there wasn't uh, there weren't people who were necessarily as good as uh, moving those dots around so that you wouldn't fritz out emotion. So like anybody could make a, the tip of my nose, the tip of an ape nose, but not everybody can translate human muscles into what ape muscles would be, which is what eventually what Weta continued to do with the uh, Planet of the Apes movies, which I, like, was fortunate enough to be on, like, the set of two of them oh. talking to, like, Andy Serkis about the motion capture technology. And so they developed, all like, those crazy suits uh, with... And they developed the possibility of having uh, exterior motion capture where you'd be able to see those crazy suits, like, through, um, you know, leaves or atmospheric effects. Uh, but it became... On the first... Uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, 
everybody was sort of taught how to make their motions more ape-like, but all most of the faces uh, were part uh, keyframe animation, which is what you're talking about, where they could uh, stop uh, change individual parts of it. They had Andy Circus actually put in uh, fake teeth for a lot of his stuff, so they could yeah. uh, more easily graft over his face. By the time the second one came along, they had all the models for all their characters like accurately mapped to the actor's face. So that all you had to do was apply the dots and you could almost immediately take that mapped information and put it into an ape performance, ape musculature and whatnot and play it back uh, inside, outside. And then apparently for the third one, the way that they've rendered hair has like stepped up even from what I was talking about, but still in that proprietary system. So it's going to be it's going to be bonkers. They keep doing gorillas. They keep doing it well. (laughs) So but many like, amazing yeah. primates. So many amazing well, primates. The thing I want to say really quickly about King Kong and uh, the 2005 in terms of it being a brawler movie is there's that famous fight uh, between the T-Rex, or, I mean, which Dave just pointed out is in a number of uh, King Kong movies, but between, it actually ends up being like two T-Rexes, right? T-Rex I? Yeah, I think that might be the best kong versus t-rex of all the well first the first it's t-rex. weird because like you hardly ever see two t-rex right it's usually like <laughs> the king um and then all the other little dinosaurs around it but anyway there's he's fighting these dinosaurs while a lot of the times holding naomi watts in one hand to protect her um and then um he just casually rips the tongue out of one of them in like but like it's such a throwaway moment like there's no clue like i feel like when you when a monster rips the tongue out of another monster's mouth it should be a big moment and it's this weird like tossed like i don't know it was a weird it was weird to me but uh, it should be the finishing move i think the finishing move is he like busts the jaws open so that's fair enough that that's like the finisher but like I was just like, wait, he just tossed his tongue aside. I feel like I should have seen it. Maybe they didn't want to like do it closer. They're like, let's shoot this far away. It'll be great. <laughs> um, but I mean, that movie really suffers, I think, from, first of all, too many humans. Like, I really didn't need to know the backstory of every single person on that, that boat. I forgot that Brody's in that movie. As well you should. He's a garbage nothing character. Right. Um <laughs> but like Jamie Bell, like all these people get backstories. It's just like not necessary. I just really needed Kyle Chandler, Nami Watts, and I guess Jack Black. Um, and then, um, but a lot of people on Twitter, when I was talking about it earlier today, like remember it very fondly, love that T-Rex fight. This, this skull Island has like dinosaurs. It has all the bugs that have ever existed and has like pleosaur it has like oh, yeah. it has everything the uncircumcised penis worm it's like a it's like a stefan sort of snl sketch thing <laughs> like this island <laughs> has everything um, and so neil i'm just curious like besides the like the graboids in kong and then like the the people of the residents of skull island the Skull Islanders. Uh, <laughs> is this like a crazy creaturey film? It, or it is, so and I think that okay. there is one. Hold on, I'm going to look up the name of this creature, um, because it, it has a really cool name. But there's uh, there are a number of very interesting, cool. I, I think they do a pretty good job of sort of opening up the scope of 
what's on this island. There is... Shoot, I just had it up on my computer. Hold on. Hold, please. There we go. Um, There is this thing called the Spore Mantis. Oh, my. Which is like a big (laughs) praying mantis that looks like a tree. Oh, okay. And it's actually not a like a terrifying i mean at first it's kind of terrifying but then it's kind of like a sweet character like a sweet creature like it's it seems fairly innocent and doesn't want to eat people like everything else on the (laughs) island like an ant maybe yeah um (laughs) so that was cool i thought it was cool that they sort of mixed in some you know there's a giant spider which is terrifying in like a number of ways there's a thing called a psycho vulture which is terrifying and has blue blood, which I thought was weird. Um, But then they have a couple of like sweet creatures. Like there's a, what they call a skur buffalo, um, which is like this huge buffalo with the big horns. What is this? Um, Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. Um, And so, yeah, I thought they did a really great job of creating other creatures that sort of populate this super weird island and it was the first time that you felt like Skull Island was sort of a character um, unto itself because there's a lot of talk about like the geological survey that they're trying to do and like what's underneath Skull Island. And it really does feel like there was a concerted effort to sort of create, uh, to do some world building, which goes to, you know, the, the shared universe, the Kongiverse that they're yes. creating. Um, I have other questions, Dave. Go Actually, for it. Uh, and really, what I think what, one of the things that struck me is the design of Kong, because mm-hmm. you have sort of in the middle, especially when you get into the Toho like suit era, and then the, even to the '76 version, and then Peter Jackson's version. There's they're all very sort of hulking, uh, like the Peter Jackson version doesn't even walk on two legs. He's he is more like a gorilla. And they have the more sunk-in gorilla faces. Um, I mean, they really... Those Toa ones, it it literally is a guy in a gorilla suit. But um, I felt like Skull Island's Kong, really, the design of it, the uprightness and the lower shoulders are more like the 1933 version, like the mocap or the stop motion version where it's more humanoid, which I thought was an interesting design choice I don't know what the right one is. I mean, I'm I, I'm hoping there's a Polly Gonzalez answer to this. I don't know which <laughs> one's the right one, but I know that I can appreciate that they went back to sort of the original, which is like the least gorilla-like of them all. I have well, I want to hear Dave's answer, but I also have some information on this. Ooh, nice. I know Ooh. you you did not expect me to have anything useful to contribute here. I know. College <laughs> um, uh, Joanna. Considering- <laughs> Considering it's the biggest Kong and that he's upright and has lower shoulders, I would say the better to fight a giant lizard with in a way that is going to be thrilling uh, and not like recognizably thrilling, like a wrestling match, not necessarily uh, uh, like a ape that needs to be humanized. So um, like all the... Kong movies where he's solo are at least all of them have a version of the original shot of like the close up on Kong's eyes when he sees his blonde woman. And so because of that, 
all of the solo designs are based around having to humanize him romantically in close-up somehow. And so that's usually how, like, the models are built. Uh, Kong Skull Island seems like, from what I've seen um, of the model, both from movie trailer clips and from the one they're using at Universal Studios right now, is built to kick the shit out of other huge things yeah it, uh, <laughs> on a technical level he's uh he's more mobile for sure and what's great about it and i think this this speaks to the quality of the special effects and i'm going to slightly spoil my review of beauty and the beast here um but basically mm-hmm. i could trace a line between um like remember we and when we talked about Batman versus Superman, we talked about like Gumby Batman, how he looked very rubbery when he was like moving. I had the mm-hmm. same problem with the Beast in the upcoming Beauty and the Beast movie. Kong and Skull Island is much more natural. Like he moves very naturally. Like like it looks more like the apes in Planet of the Apes than King Kong in Peter Jackson's Kong. I mean, I'm sure that's not a mistake because Toby Kebbell is another one of those people that I've run across in the Planet of the Apes sets. And he's one of the few people, like you have to be one of the actors in the Planet of the Apes sets to have trained with Andy Serkis and uh, other ape professionals that have been working since Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes on how to make a humanoid ape movement. So to sort of humanize him instead of going for, you know, let's all go to the zoo and copy those movements, which was a way of doing Kong at one point. Uh, makes a ton of more sense that Kevil was able to nail that right out I of the I like camp. how there's like a... <laughs> it's almost like in basketball how you have like the coaching trees where it's like this person, these five coaches were the, um, you know, sort of descendants. They were assistants with this. Uh, so like, there's like a school of... Right. Um, Next we're going to see that circus. kid who played, what is it, Co- Cody McPhee-Smith or whatever, mm-hmm. who played Nightcrawler and also one of the baby baby apes. He's going to be Kong, mm-hmm. Kong someday. Okay, so the contribution that I can make is that I did, uh, you know, your basic Wikipedia deep dive on, like, the origin of Kong. Hmm. And like, cause I was sort of fascinated, like how we talked about when we did the dragon episode of like, what is it about the beast Kong that makes him like something we want to keep coming back to in, in film? Like what, what is it about the nature of this particular menace? Um, and it originates with a filmmaker, uh, Marion Cooper, M-E-R-I-A-N. And he was sort of like read probably deeply racist books about explorers in Africa and, and like how they encountered a gorilla that was like half man explorers. Yeah. Quote unquote gorillas. How they were like half, half men, half beasts. And, um, and then I guess, you know, by the time he was making films in the 1930s, when they got to the, the design stage, uh, he kind of, uh, it says Cooper decided to backpedal on the half human look for the creature and became adamant that Kong be a gorilla. O'Brien, who's, um, one of the original designers, on the other hand, wanted him to be almost human like to gain audience empathy and told Delgado, who is the sculptor, to make that ape almost human. Cooper laughed at the end result, saying it looked like a cross between a monkey and a man with very long hair. Uh, and then they just kept working at it. But basically, originally, Kong was supposed to be like half human, half ape. Um, and then, um, 
but it, it, you know, it's interesting the various ways they've tried to like make him more ape, make him more human. You know, I would say Andy Serkis is our most human. I haven't seen Toby Gabble's performance, but just because of his motion capture prowess. The other detail I just want to share with you from this Wikipedia reading that I did that uh, maybe the kind of fake news that Dave is talking about, but this is the origin of the name King Kong. Marion Cooper was so fond, was very fond of strong, hard sounding words that started with the letter K. Can you imagine having a preference for like words that started with a certain letter? Okay. So Marion Cooper was very <laughs> fond of strong, hard sounding words that started with the letter K. Some of his favorite words were Komodo, Kodiak, and Kodak. When Cooper was envisioning his giant terror gorilla idea, he wanted to capture a real gorilla from the Congo and have it fight a real Komodo dragon on Komodo Island. Um, this scenario would eventually evolve into Kong's battle with the Tyrannosaur on Skull Island. Um, uh, it was this phrase along with, so King of Komodo was the original phrase. It was this phrase along with Komodo and Congo that gave him the idea that the giant, to name the giant ape Kong. He loved the name as it had a mystery sound to it. But like, just the fact that this guy was obsessed with, like, he's basically a Kardashian. Like, he's like, he's like Kim, Courtney, Chloe, and Kong. These are my creations. So. So, <laughs> so please go check out the King Kong Wikipedia page. This I, is very delightful. I am now worried that I prefer this, the more deeply racist version of King Kong. <laughs> From the well, guy I mean, like, who was super into all the K words. Yeah, yeah, the three K words. Um, yeah, you know, this is, this is a problem with Kong and I'll, I'll be interested to see how Kong Skull Island deals with it. But the first, the two versions I saw, which is 76 and the 2005, like neither, like it's really hard to do a like native culture that worships a giant gorilla thing. Well. <laughs> I think, and not come off as like an imperialist looking in from the outside. Cause both the people, like the people who made those two movies are white. Um, and even though Peter Jackson sort of gave it a, gave his natives like a New Zealand esque sort of vibe. Uh, it's still like dicey. And the fact that you have this like blonde that they kidnap off a ship, it's all, it's all dicey. So. Well, in 76, don't they put a blonde wig on the natives they offer up to Kong? They put, like, to, like s- straw on their heads. Yeah. yeah. He, he doesn't like the local people. He only likes Aryan people, which he's apparently I seen guess. before. I guess. I have something to say about why the Skull Island natives are okay, but I think it might actually be a spoiler. Well... You know what? It's close enough to the end of the episode. Why don't we just say, hey, guys, if you've had enough uh, Kong Skull Island, (laughs) we're going to have another spoiler alert. Here we go. Um, Here's how they kind of get around it, in my opinion. Uh, One, the natives are uh, nice. They're they're in league with John C. Riley's character. And two, they never talk. Um, So the natives, like, are background in skull island they like have nothing to do with the story almost i guess that's like that's marginally better but still probably not but it's like great. so maybe the best possible scenario you could come up here's with, the thing perhaps. john c Riley's character is a world war ii pilot who crash lands in the first scene of the movie on skull island and he is when the other people get there he's been living there for 28 years among the natives mm-hmm. and so like the natives are just like kind of chill 
Um, and they also they look Southeast Asian, which is where they they position the Skull Island to be in Southeast Asia. So, it, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not it's not as oh. bad. Interesting part of the world to put Skull Island in. A lot of monsters in that part of the world, apparently. Well, Ancient cave monsters. The thing that, you know, that Dave brought up, Dave was the first person to bring this up to me a long time ago uh, about Kong Skull Island. And I, I think you guys have been talking around it, but maybe we haven't said it explicitly, which is like one of the purposes of this movie is to actually size up Kong. Um, right. from where he was in King Kong so that he could conceivably fight God- like the Godzilla of Gareth Edwards of the Gareth Edwards film. So that when we bring, when we eventually get King Kong versus Godzilla, it's not hilariously mismatched. So now we have a more enormous Kong, uh, in the canon to deal with, right? That'll be three years from now in 2020 when King Kong versus Godzilla comes. Will out. we all still be alive then? I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> oh, we'll be alive. We'll be using it to distract us from a weird election. <laughs> At this point, the People's Republic of California will be looking out across the Mad Max wasteland of the rest of America and still making fucking King Kong movies because you're California. I love you and I hate you. I know. That's the way it goes. <laughs> so, why don't we talk about going to Texas next week? Guys, I, mean, I I this is a genuine question. What are, what are we talking about? <laughs> That's a really good question. Uh, we are we're gonna have a live show. Things will be discussed. I think we wanted to talk about the biggest little state or the little biggest state. That's not a nickname for Texas, is it? No, the we Lone Star talk- State. Yeah, the Lone Star State. I don't know what's what's the biggest <laughs> little state. I don't know. Maybe I made that up. Um, Alaska. <laughs> Uh, we want to talk about the influence of, of Texas on uh, cinema. Yeah, right? nerd. We're going to talk nerd stuff from Texas. Nerd stuff from Texas. I anticipate it very like, quickly devolving into the Friday Night Lights episode. Friday Night Lights, some Chainsaw Massacres, some... Bonnie and Clyde. You know, and how all they right, all the right, all right. You know, and it's going to be live. So when I'm like, I'm just going to play explosions in the sky now for 20 minutes, and everyone's going to be quiet. You guys have to stop me with your. Eyes. <laughs> uh, yeah, and if any of our uh, listeners are there, I don't know. Maybe we can take some questions. We'll we'll see if that's a thing that we can do. <laughs> I don't know. It seems like it'll be possible, but we might have to rephrase them. For our dear listeners, so. who hopefully, guys, I'll hopefully get the podcast into your feeds on your normal schedule, Wednesday, no problem. But if not, watch the Storm Spoilers Twitter. I will update you if, you know, crazy things go. I've never done a, I've never done a live show with these people in this place. It's, it's going to be, who knows? Yeah. Who knows what's going to It could happen. go horribly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Samuel Jackson could just stand up and go, bitch, please, bitch, we're going up the please. hill. And then everybody just walks out. Yeah. Yep. We don't know. <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> I'm, pr- I'm pre-partying, so it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to drink all morning. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Good, <laughs> then. Uh, until then, guys, where could people find more of your work around the internet? Miss Joanne Robinson. Oh, uh, you can find me on VanityFair.com covering all things South by Southwest. You can follow me on Twitter at JoeWroteThis. Um, you can listen to me talk about 
Late Night in the Trump Era with Mark Harris on Gen Pop this week. Or, uh, ooh, check out the Blank Check Pod where I talked about Minority Report like three months ago, but they finally published that episode. It's great. It's maybe, it's maybe the funniest thing I've ever done. And no offense, guys. And then, um, that's it. And Mr. Neil Miller. Uh, you can get me over at filmschoolrejects.com where I might write a little bit more about Skull Island. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at rejects. Also, be sure to follow my other podcast projects uh, at One Perfect Pod and a podcast that I am producing, which is about baseball. So if there's any, I don't know what the Venn diagram of like Storm of Spoilers and baseball people is, um, but if you follow. Uh, at a baseball pod the pod's called high and outside a baseball pod um, mm-hmm. and don't be a stranger follow us <laughs> at storm of spoilers and if you have any questions email us storm of spoilers at gmail.com nice uh i'm dave gonzalez you can find me on twitter at da7e i'm at thrillist this week talking about youtube hoax videos we felt for and then also my dear friend matt patches convinced me to delve back into commenting on pornography in porn parody trailer commentary. <laughs> so definitely check that out. You can find my other podcast work at fightinginthewarroom.com and uh, yeah, till next week when we go on down to Texas uh, stay, stay away from Skull Island, especially if you're blonde.